Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I'm here today with Cheryl Conti, the Chief Innovation Officer of the Impact C. She's also founder of Do Big Things and author of the book, Mechanical Bull. Cheryl, wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I'm really excited. You know, I want to ask you, can you give us a little brief about your background, what you've done? Right now, I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at the Impact Seat. The Impact Seat is a venture fund uh, that specializes in uh, funding the uh, ideas that are innovative and that are going to solve you know, the world's biggest problems. And we have a few, you know, we focus on early stage, particularly excluded, traditionally excluded entrepreneurs. Um, we also uh, do, you know, solve these problems via advocacy and philanthropy. In my spare time, uh, I am the uh, founder of Do Big Things. Do Big Things is a digital agency that works with uh, the world's leading foundations, corporations, candidates, et cetera to create the new narrative and new tech for the new era in which we live today. Uh, so we work on every single issue you can imagine with a, a whole host of different types of candidates. It's really exciting work. And then, yeah, you know, out of my experience as the co-founder of Attentively, which is the first tech startup with a black female founder on board, as far as we know, to have been acquired by a NASDAQ company, I actually wrote the book, Mechanical Bull, how you can achieve startup success, you know, to share, you know, not only my journey, but the journey of many founders and investors. It's the book that I wish that I'd had when I was starting out. I want to understand what you're doing, especially at the impact seat to make a difference for those entrepreneurs. There's some entrepreneurs who are just in, like they go to Ivy league schools, they get connected, they can easy to raise capital. And then there's other entire groups of our population that don't have access. They're not in the old boys club. They don't have access to venture capital. How do these underrepresented groups, how can they get, how can they break in and actually be heard, get their ideas heard, raise money and be part of this kind of startup boom that is changing the world? Absolutely. And, you know, at this point, underrepresented is a pretty broad category. You know, I would consider, you know, startups from the Midwest you know, to be underrepresented. I would consider startups, you know, no matter the founder from the South, you know, to be underrepresented. Right now, you know that despite the fact that women buy 75 to 85% of everything in America, venture capital of any kind, only 3% of that goes to women. And the amount to Black women is still statistically zero, even though it has improved mightily in the last 10 years. So that's stupid, okay? Like that's real dumb for the obvious reasons. You know, it just makes sense, right? That you would have someone on your board or, you know, in your founding team that understands the audience that you're trying to reach, right? And, you know, the proof of that is NASDAQ, we just mentioned them, they actually just passed a rule that says, look, you have to diversify your board. If you wanna be on listed on the NASDAQ, 
you have to diversify their board. And they didn't do that because it's nice, because they're trying to be nice. All of the studies show that diverse led firms are more innovative, they are more productive, and, and they are more profitable. End of story. So that's why that's why the NASDAQ is, is taking that action. So, you know, we have that same philosophy that diverse firms win, you know, that they just bring better ideas to the table, you know, ideas that address problems that other people may not have even realized, you know, and are serving an underserved market, which then provides a great opportunity. You know, so we do um, a lot of healthcare investment, climate, of course, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. We do a lot of work, you know, really trying to democratize access to capital. Because as you said, there are a lot of folks who have great ideas, who aren't really sure how to get access to that money. And right now there's a lot of money. I mean, that's the good news, folks, is that there is a lot of money out there looking for great ideas and more is coming. What a lot of people don't realize is that the American Rescue Act actually is sending money next year to every state, hundreds of millions of dollars per state, just to find and fund great ideas like yours. States have to submit plans by the end of December, so it's going to take some time for that money to roll out, but that is going to be really revolutionary if it's handled right. And so I think the good news, you know, even though this is a time where there's a lot of bad news out there, if you, if you, you know, watch or listen to the news, but the good news is that there's a lot of money and investors looking for game-changing ideas that solve problems. And there are a lot of good ideas out there. So one place that I suggest to folks is the internet networking, you know, LinkedIn, is so powerful. And if you're not maximizing your LinkedIn experience, that's the thing you should do immediately following this. And how do you do that? Make sure that you have really great keywords all throughout your profile. Make sure that you, know, you have it fully filled out, have a professional photo, really describe yourself in a leadership capacity and you know, address the fact if you're fundraising, if you're creating, you, know, you see yourself as the CEO, even though you haven't actually you know, launched it, you know, whatever. but if that's who you are, put that in LinkedIn, right? Because the first thing that an investor is gonna do is look at that. I can tell you because I am a venture capitalist now and that's the first thing that I do. From there, you know, LinkedIn, it's not just an online resume service, it's actually a social network. And so you can use LinkedIn to actually find investors. And especially for those underrepresented founders, it's really great to start in the state where you are. Every state now has a fund. You know, sometimes it's through the government. Sometimes it's just a local, you know, organization that has founded and has gathered um, members. But just about every state has a fund that is looking for uh, startups and wants to fund startups that are based in that state. That is really good advice. You know, and I want to share something else with our listeners out there. And that is the government is also funding R&D projects through all the different departments of education and defense and energy. They have a lot of money now out there going for people across the U.S. who want to apply for these. And I know a number of people who have applied and won these grants. And they're a great way to get started because you don't have to be in Silicon Valley or New York or one of the tech centers to get this money. You just have to be able to show them that you 
are capable of delivering something. You have to come up with a plan and do that. Now, you said that women were getting 3% of the capital and Black women in particular were getting close to 0% of the venture capital out there. That is just not acceptable. Women being over half the population and Black women being a significant portion of women not being able to access the engine that's driving our economy, the future innovation, entrepreneurship. What can we do? Like I'm in the industry, you're in the industry. What can we do to change that? Yeah. So just one last thing on the last point, I'm going to get to that. Look at F6S is a great network for founders. You probably already told people that. AngelList is a great place to to be a founder and to meet investors. So, you know, get your profiles running up there. And in every state and many cities, there's what's called an economic development corporation. Look that up. Find those people and talk to them. That is a goldmine of resources to get you funded. Uh, you know, but to your point, how can we change this? One of the things I think that you can do, I read a study that's that white people on average, 75% of white people on average, don't actually know personally another person of color, which is crazy. That's crazy. So like, if that's you, no, no shade. It's all cool. You know, like it's a new world. Welcome. This is something like build your network. Just ask your friends. So one out of four of your friends actually is connected into a network of people of color. You need to find that person and get linked up. And again, this isn't because it's nice. You know, it's because there are amazing ideas out there and entrepreneurs who see something that the people you're talking to don't, right? And they have access to understanding a market that you don't, right? And that market is only getting bigger. You know, everyone's seen the statistics. By 2040, white people will be in the minority. There's going to be more black and brown people who have needs that you may or may not totally understand. This will be a lot, particularly make a lot of money as that population grows. There is a huge opportunity. And we're not tapping it sufficiently now. We should be. I have advice for entrepreneurs out there. What's really important is who you actually form relationships with, who you're surrounded, who your peers are. Your chance of success goes up dramatically if you surround yourself with the right people. So for anybody out there who's in the Midwest, in the South, in an underrepresented group, if you want to actually increase your chance of success, target people who you want to become in the future and go to them. And even if you have to volunteer, whatever you have to do, find a way where you can give them something so that they bring you into their circle and then things, opportunities just start happening because I've seen it. I've seen really good people who hustle, right? Entrepreneurs out there. And it doesn't have to be at the beginning pushing your own idea because honestly, it's hard. Like if you've never done it before, you aren't in the right circles, it's, you could just get frustrated really easily. So don't necessarily start by pushing your own idea. Go out there and find other people with ideas who are doing amazing things, who you really respect, who are well-connected, and then figure out what you can give them so that they bring you into their circle. And then once you're in their circle, that's when you start to have that chance to do more. So can you talk a little bit more about that? You've done it yourself, right? You have been very successful. I want to hear a little bit about your past and how you broke through. I am definitely the queen of the hustle. You know, and how I started, 
uh, I had been recruited out here to the San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, to build out or rebuild the digital practice of a very large PR firm that's global. And, you know, I was busting my ass, working day and night, you know, and I actually created a plan where I said, look, if, if we hire, you know, X amount of people, give me X amount of resources, I can bring in a million dollars of revenue. And they thought that was hilarious. And then my boss left who had recruited me, my boss's boss left, you know, and I was left with these jackasses who passed me over for a promotion that was in my offer letter. So I quit. I was like, I'm, I'm done. If you all can't appreciate me, I'm out. And then the very next day I sent out a tweet and this is the proof of the power of a network. I sent out a tweet and I was like, Hey, I'm available. <laughs> Who wants to work with me? And I actually got a lot of incoming. You know, if you build a community, just as you were saying, if you actually start to network, build that community, you know, it's about relationships that can pay off over time and sincere relationships, you know, don't make your relationships transactional, be helpful, be a resource, and you will find that coming back to you 10 times, tenfold. So at any rate, from one of those, a friend said, look, my girlfriend, now wife, is she's doing her own indie thing. I kind of feel like you two would be really good partners. So, you know, we started working, we dated, we, we business dated, we worked on a project together. And the magic happened when literally I was describing an idea, like a concept. And by the time I was done, she had built an Excel spreadsheet that did that. And I was like, you complete me. Like, this is this is magical. But at the same time, I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to start this business. That's cool. But I have $10,000 literally in the bank. And she had about the same, but I was like, if we don't have clients by the end of the month, I have to go get a job at job. Okay. Like that's it. Like that's all I have. Long story short, you know, by the end of that year with an awful lot of hustle, we had 10 employees and we had built that million dollars of revenue, you know, and doing something that was really important to us, you know, working with, you know, these amazing nonprofits and foundations that were working hard, you know, to help everyday people, you know, have, have better lives. I really like that you're a socialpreneur. Like you are out there, you're trying to make a difference in each of the jobs you do. And I think, like you said, the more you give out, the more you get in return. So really helping people around you, that's how you build real relationships. Now, life isn't always a straight arrow. You probably had some very tough times. I want you to talk about like one of the hardest moments you had and what you learned out of that moment. This was when I was uh, working within, you know, a K Street firm and I walked past the office of someone who reported to me and somehow I, I heard how much they were making a year. And they were making more than me, even though I was their boss. And I'm a woman of color. He was not. So I went into my boss, my boss, and said, hey, I know about that. <laughs> like, what's going on? And he didn't say, oh, that's an oversight. Like, oops. Like, he could have just pretended, like, oops, is that? What? We need to fix that. No. The first thing he said was, how did you find out? And that was a real wake up call to me of this is not the kind of organization that I want to run. It was devastating. I thought that we had a good relationship. I felt like, you know, I'd been working hard and that I'd shown myself I had built, you know, that he was apparently paying more than me. It just showed me that, you know, people don't always value you as much as you value yourself. And that proved true with the Tenably. 
when I was pitching people to invest in attentively, you know, which is a marketing automation, social listening, influencer engagement tool geared towards the causes camp community. I had to believe 110% in myself and in the business in order to get someone to believe 70%. You know, listen to your internal intuition. You know the truth, you know, about your concept. There's going to be haters out there. There's going to be people who don't get it, you know, or don't understand, you know, who think smaller than you, you know, who don't think ahead, you know, forge ahead because you will find that person. If you keep knocking on enough doors, you will find that investor who gets you and believes in you just as much as you believe in you. You know, you can't be frustrated. There are a lot of people out there who just, they don't care. They won't really listen to you or they'll just look at you and by how you look, dismiss that you're somebody that they would invest in. You can't let that stop you. Now, in your case, there are very few women of color in venture capital astonishingly few, fewer than there are women of color entrepreneurs. Like it's just a tiny number. How did you break in? Relationships, you know, and again, you know, relationships are, are so important relationships with your investors that there's a reason they call it investor relations, relationships with your team, you know, your senior team, but also all of the people under you relationships with your suppliers, you know, with your vendors, you know, and it was through dialogue, having talks like this, that I actually got introduced to my colleague, Terrence Craig, who began working with the founder of the Impact Seat, Barbara Clark. And he said, hey, I think you should meet Cheryl. You know, she has a skill set that we don't have. And I think she would bring something new and really exciting and interesting. You know, and a lot of what I do is this, you know, represent our team, you know, represent our concepts, represent our amazing, you know, companies that are, you know, making a huge difference in people's lives, but also mentoring. You know, I'm doing a lot of mentoring. You know, we have 60 different investments in directly in companies all over the United States. Um, but we also are lead investors in 15 different funds mm -hmm. that themselves invest in dozens of companies. We're one of the leading angel investors in women-led, you know, particularly women of color-led companies in America. So the ability to share my experiences and help startups be even more successful is really rewarding because it's not just money. Money is important. There's no question that capital is very important, but you know, it's also knowledge and experience and strategy and being able to bring that to the table, you know, and help these companies go from zero to 60 is really incredible. You're in Silicon Valley. You're at the heart of things. Everybody's connecting really easy to make these connections you're talking about. Go to another place like Detroit or deep in the South, Mississippi, people there, you can say make connections, but there's not a lot of venture capital there. And there really aren't a lot of people they can connect with. What do they do? Well, and I would push back, you know, yes, there's not as much venture capital as Silicon Alley, Valley Beach, sure. But at this point, every state, for example, Georgia, one of our, a major investor in attentively became the Atlanta Venture Angels. Atlanta, they call the Atlanta Tech Angels. Every state, you know, has a group. Yes. Is it as big as some other areas? No, but those groups are about to get a lot bigger and have a lot more money. Now that we're in the age, you know, the post-pandemic era, look, you can be anywhere. 
you know, I don't go out and talk to anybody anymore. <laughs> you know, I mostly am zooming it as is everybody else. And so I think that that has actually broken down a lot of barriers for people just because you don't live here in Silicon Valley, that's not necessarily discriminatory. And in fact, because again, there's a lot of money looking for great investments in new markets, you might be able to play that to your advantage in those conversations of like, look, are you aware of how many people in Michigan need this service and how much money that I can make this called the total addressable market? Sell them, you know, on the size of the market and what they need. That's really important. You said it. So Right now, we have this opportunity for people. It used to be geography played a huge role because people wanted face-to-face meetings. Like if you're going to meet with a venture capitalist, they're like, come here. If you're in halfway across the country to go there on a small chance of getting funded, like it's really expensive. But now you can just hop on a Zoom call, essentially free, get through to these people. But what you said was really important. You talked about, you know, show them that they can make a lot of money in a market that's been overlooked. And I always tell entrepreneurs, you know, hunt for the un tap demand. There's demand out there, but nobody's addressing it. If you can be the first one to poke it, that's the thing venture capitalists like you want more than anything. You know, they can, we can build a product, but you don't know where that untapped demand is. That's what you're looking for entrepreneurs. Tell some of the other things that you look for when you, let's say, have a Zoom call with an entrepreneur from anywhere in the world. Passion. Like I really want to, you know, see that you have energy, you know, and believe and did the idea for this come out of some sort of personal experience. You know, that narrative is really important. Human beings are storytellers. That's how we understand the world. So being able to tell that compelling narrative, either of yourself and your relationship to this product or service, or how you came up with the idea is really powerful, not just because it feels good, also because it is bona fide of your insight into the market. And that's what people are listening for. Like, how well do you really understand the market and the the audience to whom you're marketing? I want to know, is this viable? Is this vaporware? Is there some proof of concept, at least at a minimum? Like, is there a prototype? You know, do you have some customers already? Do you have at least a little bit of traction happening? Of course, you know, we're investing in early stage entrepreneurs. So, you know, we know that it's, you know, you're not you know, about to IPO or anything, like we, we get it, you know, but we need to see in some way you've taken some steps forward. Pre-revenue is hard to get. You can be pre-revenue, but we still need to see that there's some interest. Have you gotten an FDA patent or are you trying to get one, right? Or FDA approval, you know, or you're trying to get a patent, like what, you know, what steps have you taken to lock in that intellectual property is very important, um, you know, to us. Uh, and then do the numbers make sense? Yes, it's great to have the hockey stick, but does that hockey stick really match up with the audience and the opportunity and the idea, right? Like all of those things need to line up for me, you know, and then finally team is very important. You know, I think a lot of excluded entrepreneurs, you know, because by the time you're ready to start your own business, you've had to work so hard individually. You've just had to propel yourself forward through life in a really determined way. You know, and so you're used to being an army of one, but no investor is going to invest in an army of one. I'll tell you that right now. Like no investor is going to believe that you, no matter how talented you are, can do all of the things. 
Okay. We tend to look for, do you have a tech lead? Do you have, you know, someone who's an expert on product? You know, is there a marketing and sales person? If you're making something, if you're building something, you know, do you have, you know, someone who understands manufacturing? Do you have an advisor? Is there somebody with a little gray hair, or at least a little more experience helping to guide and shape you along the way? You know, those are some of the things that we tend to look for. Now, Cheryl, what's the best advice that you've ever received from someone else? I'm from Washington, D.C. And, you know, D.C. is actually a very small town in a lot of ways. And it's a one horse town, you know, no matter what people are doing, really they're working for the government in some way, shape or form. They're working on politics and, you know, they're trying to influence what's going to happen in the world in some way, you know, or they're fulfilling a governmental mandate in some way, even if it's a private company. So, Within that context, a mentor of mine said, look, Cheryl, be kind to everyone because you don't know who knows whom and you don't know who can help you in the future. And the corollary to that was the people you see coming up are the people you see going down. And I have had some real setbacks. We stumble vision strategy. We had this client that our community really objected to, right? They didn't just didn't like their politics, the, the way that they were doing. And we were getting a lot of pushback and, you know, some of our clients left and we were like, are we going to be able to survive? Like, is this, is this the end? But what happened is people who really knew us and cared about us stepped forward and said, you know what, like, we know that this is not who you are. This was a mistake. I'm going to give you some business. And that's because I had been kind to them. Like we had a relationship, like I had been there for them. And, you know, I see this sometimes with startups where they're really on a tear and it's hot and they're like, I'm hot stuff. Yo, that's not how this works. Kindness, compassion for other people. We're all in this together. That is so essential to just being a good person, let alone building a good business and having a good life. Cheryl, this has been a wonderful interview. You've given some really great advice. How can people reach out to you? I am easy to find on the internet, maybe too easy. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course, as we mentioned, but also our website at the Impact Seat is impactseat.com. At Do Big Things, we're dobigthings.today. And also you can find my book on Amazon, Mechanical Bull, How You Can Achieve Startup Success. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you wanna access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.